Hey guys, on this episode, we're going to be talking about divorce-proofing your marriage, building relationships, and even building strong relationships while you are deployed, and also how to rebuild your relationship when you come back from deployment. So guys, just check this out. This is amazing. Love you guys. Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. Today is going to be an amazing show. I have an amazing young lady coming on and we're going to be talking about some some stuff that I'm very interested in. So thank you so much for hopping on, Melissa. How are you today? Hello, I'm good. Nice to see you. Yeah, so what's new? Oh, man. Well, I live here in the Pacific Northwest, and it has been sunny for the last mm, nine days. (laughs) So us Pacific Northwesterners, we soak in that sun as much as possible, especially in the spring months when it's been such a long winter. Now, where are you originally from? I was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest. So you're used to that kind of weather then? I sure am. But does that mean that I enjoy it? Mm, debatable. We actually, so I grew up on the Olympic Peninsula. So if you look at the state of Washington, you have that Olympic Peninsula off to the far west. And um, my my dad was a, a, fire, a firefighter and grew into administrative um, firework. And so... We grew up with lots of rain and lots of outdoor time and lots of time with both parents because of shift work, right? So um, we grew very accustomed to it. But as I continued to get older and after I got married, we moved to Hawaii, which was an amazing opportunity, Um, our first duty station after after getting married. And I I never really wanted to leave. But here we are. We're back in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm just dreaming that it's Hawaii when I look out the window, and it seems so warm and sunny, and it's actually like 65 degrees, but I'll take it. <laughs> One thing I noticed about the people from your, your area, um, a lot of them are laid back, and mm. they appreciate life. They appreciate uh, nature, you know, and I'm from up north, and, it, you know, we're in the concrete jungle, and uh, <laughs> I'm actually sitting overlooking where the Twin Towers once stood. And it's amazing how, you know, like we take for granted what everything nature has to offer when people like from the Pacific Northwest, they actually take the time to actually enjoy it. Mm, Yeah, you know, we are so fortunate to be in such a beautiful area. And it's, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking the other day about the fact that we this winter with COVID, um, taking over our whole world, we were able to ski about every other weekend with our, with our little girls. And it was such a breath of fresh air. Like, okay, so on the slopes, everything felt normal because, you know, skis and snowboards keep you about six feet apart anyway. And everyone's already wearing, you know, masks and those kinds of things. So it felt like this little, this little opportunity to be in a world that felt really normal in the midst of hard. Now, your father, you said, was a firefighter? Yes, he was. In fact, he he started um, in the firefighter world, I don't know, when he was 18 or 19 years old. And he's, you know, progressively become um, 
much more advanced in his leadership as the years go on, but he's going to be retiring next year um, after serving as chief in um, two departments, serving as deputy chief in two. Um, and you can tell I'm just, I'm very proud, but I'm biased. <laughs> you know, we got to love our, you know, our parents. And, and if you do get a chance to uh, thank him for me, because I, I appreciate all of our first responders. And um, so, you know, how did you get into, because uh, I'm very interested in the, the cognitive therapy. But what mm-hmm. got you interested into going into that field and doing stuff like that? Mm, good question. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because um, I really, growing up, so watching watching people, I, I would say that even as a kid, I've always been really interested in human behavior. And, you know, why we see some people show up in really incredible ways and, and other people show up in different and equally incredible ways. Um, and what creates growth and development as an adult, right? So after we grow and develop as typical children, there's this continuation of development when our brains have um, have reached their max capacity of, um, you know, original development, then we have all this opportunity with neuroplasticity to develop and grow and mature. And um, so when I started undergrad, the first thing that I did was, you know, ask my dad, well, what would be the responsible thing to, to learn? Because I'm really interested in about a human behavior. And he said, well, why don't you, why don't you check in with another part just in case? So I made a deal and I started learning about finance and also human behavior. <laughs> so it was an interesting compilation together. But, um, you know, I, I met and married um, my husband and, you know, we were young, straight out of college. He was uh, graduating from West Point and we were on our way to Hawaii. And I found that um, I had an internship with the Department of the Army working with a program called the Risk Reduction Program. And uh, so after I graduated in 2009, they hired me. And I learned in that process that I really loved understanding what creates um, health promotion and what creates healthy habits and why there are some soldiers that, you know, really enter into combat and they come out with this concept, this idea of post-traumatic growth, right? And we would see that. And then also, we would also experience um, post-traumatic stress. And so understanding the difference between number one, post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress disorder, and also um, post-traumatic growth and how all of those things can really be combined. um, It kind of takes away the stigma from PTSD and understanding this is not who you are, this is something that you experienced. And I think a lot of cognitive work helps us recognize what we're looking at and what we're you know, what we're facing when it comes to trauma identification and how we can grow through it. That's why I was so excited to meet with you today after kind of hearing a little bit about your story. And I would say as well, um, you know, thank you for acknowledging um, my dad's service. And we would all say the same to you. Thank you so much for your service. Well, thank you. Well, I did a couple of years, but, um, you know, you're like the third, fourth person. Like I talked to uh, Professor Free last week. And you're like the third person that's talking about post-traumatic growth. Mm. Now, you know, like I found, you know, I've talked to hundreds of people now on my show 
And I mean, like, I'm not a professional at all. I, mean, I only graduated in ninth grade, so I have no professionalism. But I found that um, when an adult usually acts out, it's usually because of stuff that happened between the ages of three and 13. And mm-hmm. then you add war to the mix. Mm-hmm. And then you add alcohol to the mix. Sometimes, sometimes not all the time. Sure. You have a perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah. When out of the military, you know, or even, you know, firefighters, first responders, firemen, when they retire, you know, they don't live that long. And, and I think it's because of being in that perfect storm. And when you get out of that, per- or when you're in the perfect storm, you don't really have people to talk to because you're, you know, mm-hmm. like miss your, you know, like if you're a fireman, you miss the guys in your house. And, you mm-hmm. know, like I, I read a statistic say that, you know, the average male in the United States lives to 78 years old, but mm-hmm. the average first responder, whether that's veteran, firefighter, police officer, only lives to age 58. Mm. So that's a 20 year difference. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're talking about is if we can find out how we can go with post-traumatic growth instead of being labeled with uh, dysfunction. So, yeah. you know, talk to us yeah. about the difference between post-traumatic growth and post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it's really interesting walking together with a variety of different kinds of first responders. I'm, I'm um, grateful that you acknowledge and kind of did some research on the stress that they encounter. Cause I think one of the things that really reduces um, life expectancy is this huge amount of stress within trauma, right? So in those traumatic moments, especially for, um, you know, you're in city and county, first responders, they're experiencing trauma, secondary trauma um, on the daily, right? And so really managing and regulating some of those stressful events um, takes time and emotional depth. So what we see when we encounter, um, you know, a traumatic event is we see very typical behaviors um, in post-traumatic stress. So you might experience um, some dreams, um, you might experience some anxiety, experience elevating um, elevated stress and cortisol that is taking place in your body, some irritability. And those things are really normal, um, especially after encountering a pretty significant event. And what, what we want to be um, really aware of is when those symptoms continue to last beyond, you know, a series of a week, two weeks, three weeks, right? When we're still encountering um, difficult dreams and we're still encountering, um, you know, kind of a awakening or lurching with um, any kind of trigger points or noises, those kinds of things. Um, That indicates that somehow that trauma has really affected our brain in a way that needs some some treatment, right? And when we look at post-traumatic growth, it often is twofold. Um, So one part is and this is kind of a prevention um, idea is going into trauma, right? So we talk with, um, you know, special forces um, individuals who talk about when they're heading out to their mission, right? There's this cognitive element of planning forward for worst case scenario. So for example, when I look 
at my buddy and I see him get shot, what am I going to do? How can I complete the mission? How can I move my cognitive space? So planning forward for those types of events and recognizing what am I going to do to move through that, complete the mission, and then come home and process. Okay. Um, the other part, yeah. I'm sorry. I have a traumatic brain injury and I have ADD. So sometimes I have <laughs> shiny object syndrome. Um, yes. So sometimes I don't know where my conversations go, but it's okay. I love uh, it. You know, now I know that, you know, you, you're, is your husband still in the military? No. So he exited in 2014. Okay. So, you know, let me ask you on not, now it's not the professional side. It's the personal side, because mm. one thing that I have a big place in my heart for is, you know, when a, a soldier, whether it's a female or a male, uh, gets deployed, their mm-hmm. family also gets deployed. And a lot of times the mother or the father that's home has to take up the mantle and has to be the mother and the father. So I just want to give you, give you the, uh, the thank, want to thank you. And I want to thank mm-hmm. all the people out there that are husbands and wives of military service. Cause you guys are doing the same amount of time as we are. So what is it like? Was it like being a spouse of a military member and, and knowing what you know, it's different, you know, somebody, you can know what you know in your office, but when it comes mm-hmm. to your own house, when it comes to your own, own kitchen table, it's a different story. So, oh, I'm glad. Yeah, absolutely. So what Richard, that- that's why we have our own therapists. <laughs> get it. <laughs> because you're absolutely right. It's different when, um, you know, we're able to process and kind of be outside of the box and really work through some of these concepts. Um, and then it's different when it's their own. So for example, um, when my husband deployed, um, we, he had his deployment schedule plans. We had an excellent group. Um, our battalion commander and his, and his wife were incredible life changers for, for both me and my husband. Um, and I found out that we were expecting baby number one. And that this little girl was going to be born sometime while he was in Iraq. Um, which actually happens very often. Um, you know, just babies are born when they're born. But um, interestingly, there was some research that came out um, a year after I gave birth to our first girl um, that indicated that spouses of deployed members often, number one, have preterm births and have a 60% higher rate of, um, of uh, post-birth depression. Right. And so, and that really was something that took place for me. So, you know, I think there's a, there's a, um, a healthy fear that takes place and, you know, recognizing that our loved ones are away. And then there's also the daily grind of waking up with baby and giving birth alone and, um, you know, wondering what's going on on the other side of the world with the person that I love. So it's complicated. And, you know, and I think that's why we have, you know, I have, I'm having you on to have these talks because a lot of this stuff doesn't get talked about. You know, we never really hear, you know, like, as I have a friend, his name is Charles Strange, and he lost his son. He's a Gold Star family family member. And you mm-hmm. know, a, lot, a lot of times you don't hear about the family and the family afterward. We just hear about the veterans. So that's why I thank you for coming on today. 
Now, this, like you said, this might get personal, but you know they do call me the veteran Oprah. So if I don't ask, <laughs> it, it's, it's it's when you came, when he when your husband came and thank your husband for me. You know I love my oh. friends and thank him for from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, thank, thank you. Did you notice something was off, or did he come back okay? No, no issues. Yeah, there. So there's a couple things. Um, when you have years apart from a spouse, it doesn't matter the you know if you have the best internet connectivity or the most amazing apps. Um, there's still innately a disconnect, right? And um, one thing that I noticed about my husband wasn't that he seemed like um, he had intense um, trauma, but the fact that our relationship was extremely disconnected to the point where, you know, when he came back, I just want, you know, we talk about all these plans for reintegration and developing, um, you know, the family together again. And, and I really found myself wondering like, okay, when's that going to happen? Like everybody talks about the honeymoon period and then, you know, things get a little difficult and then, you know, you come back together and things are really good. And, and for us, you know, Jonathan came back and he was just disconnected. Um, and it was, it was scary, I think for me and um, wondering, you know, what does our relationship look like moving forward? I, does this man love me? Are we, you know, we just had a baby. Is, is there something wrong with me? You know, after we, we, this is our first baby, what happened? And really, you know, over the next several months and times, um, I think that was the most turmoil that we have ever experienced in our relationship. Um, you know, to be, you know, really honest, we went through a relationship separation during that time. Um, you know, I moved out of the state. I, you know, he was at, in Oklahoma at the time and um, I went home to be with family because it's um, so emotionally exhausting and devastating when you feel unloved and unseen. And it, he was never cruel or mean. Um, he was just not there, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I can totally, well, I mean, I can, because a lot of people that I've talked to, you know, we, when you're over there, you, you have a mission. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times, you know, we know what the mission is. It's, it's black and white. And then a lot of times when you get home, you know, the stuff that would normally aggravate the average person, we really don't care about. Like, you know, like my wife, because, you know, my wife is my bride. She's my everything. She's my rock. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she has road rage, you know, and and, and we're driving and I'm like, honey, as long as nobody's shooting at us or we're not getting IEDs going off around us, we're okay. So, you know, a lot of times we have when, you know, like when a, a person goes off off to war, they don't come back the same person that they were. And a lot of times you have to it's it's hard learning how to reintegrate yourself, like especially mm-hmm. like uh, I was talking to a guy named he has a, a podcast called the Military Veterans Dads. It's a great podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, he talks about, you know, like a lot of times when we get deployed. And, you know, the mom or, or the husband, whatever it is, you know, they're taking the place of the mother, the father, um, mm-hmm. paying all the bills. Mm-hmm. And then when we get back home, 
we don't know where to fit in and we try we rush to try to fit in and change to, and go back to the way we were and it's not that way anymore and i think sometimes like you know like like my friend ben said sometimes we just have to take a step back and slowly mm-hmm. reintegrate back into the family mm-hmm. so what are your thoughts yeah. on like that yeah you know it's interesting i i think the slow integration is important also therapy <laughs> there are key uh interventions that can be done we call them interventions that's such a clinical term but um there are strategies that we use to help develop connectivity right so you know we really i think that um you know jonathan he he didn't really know how to connect with me or how to see me or how to develop what we would call a love map right understanding each other's inner worlds um, and so without these tools, there's really no way to move in. He wanted to love me and I wanted to love him, um, but there was really no way to develop that connection. And so we started seeing an incredible marriage and family therapist actually through the VA. And um, this woman, you know, she really helped um, use some excellent firm data points that really speak to the engineer mind. My husband's an engineer, I love engineers. Um, and you know, I think when you look at, okay, well science proves that using these specific tactics will increase emotional connection. That spoke to both of us because we both are really interested in what science shows is you know, um, proven for developing relationships. I used to hate engineers because I used to sell timeshares and trying to sell a timeshare to an engineer is like trying to tell <laughs> ice to an Eskimo because they're so anal- analytical, you know, and they, yes, they, they are down to the nth. So now this is something I want to talk about because I have somebody very, very close to me, somebody that I love very dearly, um, going through marriage counseling with the Gottman theory. So, mm-hmm. and that, that's why one of the things when I seen it, I was like, oh, this is great. I got to talk mm-hmm. about it. I've heard a lot of amazing things about this. Mm. It sound, so can you please talk a little bit about what, about, about what this is about? Oh, yeah. Richard, I'm so passionate about Gottman Method. Uh, I could talk about Gottman Theory all day long. But um, I will say my husband and I um, you know, are both um, really well-versed in Gottman work. In fact, we're putting on two workshops next month together. I'm really fortunate because, um, you know, working together with Jonathan, he is the only spouse of a therapist that I have met to date that is willing and passionate and excited to put on workshops to develop relationships. So I got really lucky with him. Um, but yeah, the, the cool part is the Gottmans took some time to really understand that there was a disconnect between therapy and couple work. And what they were noticing is that when a couple would go in for counseling, um, there would be about a 50% relapse rate, which would basically mean it, it, there's no proven um, data to show that therapy was effective, like standard therapy. Um, and so they started taking some time to research what makes relationships work. And over 40 years, they've studied thousands and thousands and thousands of couples in all of their case studies in different age groups, um, demographics, Um, all of those things in the love lab out of the University of Washington in Seattle. And what they found 
is that really relationships come back to a few solid points of data. One thing is small things often. When we think about relationships and we look online and we see the Instagram posts and the Facebook posts, we see these romantic vacations and fancy homes and new cars. And we often think, wow, that family must be so happy. But it's actually not true. Um, often, uh, the families that are showing, um, you know, signs of being able to have all these happy experiences may not have the connectivity that other families have that aren't doing those big extravagant things. It comes down to the little things. So, for example, one of the things that um, that my husband has noticed about me is that I love like having a little part of my body touching his. So, for example, when I sit down, I'll like put my foot on top of his foot, which is makes some people think, oh, what is that? Um, but it's just my way to say, I like you and you're close to me. Those small little things that are just something between you and your partner tell you, hey, we have, a, we have something here and only we know about it. And it's fun and it's unique and it's us. Um, also, you know, my husband, he chooses to call and text periodically throughout the day say, how's your day going? What's going on? And to me, that's him checking in and showing interest and being aware. And so really those small little tidbits of things often all the time help us develop a rich connection opportunity because science shows for every five positive interactions that we have, it is neutralized by one negative interaction. So the masters of relationship have a ratio of about 25 positive interactions together with their partner to every one negative interaction. Um, and that really promotes this really healthy, happy experience. You know, also, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. You know, and like for me and my wife, you know, I love my, like I said, she's my bride. I've known her for 30 years and she'll always be my bride. Um, love it. But, um, you know, there's a book out there called the love there, you know, mm -hmm. um, I've probably done the love there 15 or 20 times. And a lot, I think a lot of people, um, like I got the pleasure of, of, um, having lunch one day with pastor TD Jakes and mm -hmm. told me, he said, you know, if you don't meet your wife, another man will. And mm -hmm. a lot of people forget to treat, in my opinion, forget to treat their sort of given other like they did when they were boyfriend and girlfriend you know they kind yeah. of you know life gets in the way kids get in the way and but sometimes we have to sit back and realize wow you know this person you know god willing is going to be with me for the rest of my life you know this is mm -hmm. these are the these are the it doesn't matter how many followers you got on facebook instagram twitter linkedin whatever but you know when your day comes these are going to be people that are going to be surrounding you so absolutely you know it's interesting too because um you're absolutely right that on when we're talking to people at end of life no one at the end of their life says i wish i would have had that last connection with building my business before i retired they always say i wish i would have had more time with my family i wish i would have invested in my marriage and you know what's what's even more interesting is it's um i was listening to a podcaster recently on um, the biggest decisions that you can make to promote wealth in your lifetime. And one of the most incredible insights 
And the most impactful is to invest in your marriage early. Because investing in your marriage early creates rich connection and avoids things like disconnection, separation, divorce, um, separation of assets, those kinds of things. And so when we really put a lot of effort in our relationship early on, it just continues to snowball. It builds and builds over time. That's why relationships innately often get better and better year over year is because the knowing of each other gets richer and more deep. Well, but then also, you know, because I, I, I'm the kind of guy that I, I would be the worst person to ever have on the jury because I always look at both sides and I could switch both sides back and forth and feel like, yeah, I can't get that. But he's guilty. No, he's innocent. Guilty, innocent. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times it's kind of like when you buy that new car. You know, everybody loves their new car until it's about six months old and then it's no longer new. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and one thing I came to realization like I had my own, I threw my own mental health summit, April 3rd called today I decide. And, mm. um, and, and I'm getting everything ready for it. And my wife almost had like a nervous breakdown because of stuff that's going on with, with work and stuff. And, and she said, you know, you're worried about everybody else, but you're not worried about me losing my mind. And I, and it made me sit back and start thinking, you know, a lot of people were so worried about helping everybody else, but we don't <laughs> worry about the person that's sitting across the kitchen table for us. Yeah, I mean, and especially I think um, that some of us are uniquely wired in that way. So, um, for example, in in my relationship, my husband is his main concern, his primary concern, and about the only people that he truly is in tune with and cares well for is me and our two daughters. Now, um, for me, I see everyone and I want to help everyone and I'm so excited about um, just developing new and um, new ways to think and, and develop and grow and um, and sometimes I can forget that I'm looking across at this at this man that I've been married to now on um, 13 years and uh, he missed me so sometimes it's all about the um, regrouping right that uh, that aha moment we had it too in the pandemic I'll, I'll never forget um, probably, I don't know, October, my caseload was growing, um, you know, all, everything is just kind of exploding in this point. And I come home from work and I, I, Jonathan's looking at me across the dinner table and he says, I miss you. And I'm like, I'm here. What are you talking about? And he said, you're here, but your brain is not. And it was a good time for me to recognize, ah, I need to separate myself from work, from deadlines, calendar invites, and really regroup together with him. He's the one that matters to me. And and I, I totally love that. You know, and then when you send me your bio, because I love studying people. And since we, you know, I've read everything that all the papers that you've written and everything. And uh, just because I like to get to know a person beforehand. Um, mm-hmm. I, I said, I guess that's what makes me different than other podcasters. <laughs> yes. You know, I believe, You're a good researcher. Well, I believe that, you know, like now that we've talked that, you know, the relationship just starts today. And I'm a... I'm a relationship kind of guy. And uh, I believe in like, like you talk about interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. and a lot of people, they, in the age that we live in, they forgot how to build relationships, especially mm-hmm. in business. Now we're going to talk about LinkedIn for a second. Mm-hmm. I can't count how many times I'll get a connection request and I'll look through their profile and I'll accept it. 
and bam, not even 30 seconds later, later, I get a canned pitch. Mm-hmm. And and I actually reply back to him, yes, I'm doing well. My family's doing well. Thank you. And you never hear from him again. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about building relationships, not only in business, but in all areas of your life. Because I believe that relationships is the most important thing in the world. So what are your Absolutely. thoughts on relationships? Richard, you and I agree. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, um, it's interesting because I too have had the same um, experience on LinkedIn and and also in other platforms. Um, you know, you you haven't heard from this high school friend um, and you know, for decades, and then all of a sudden, um, there you are, and um, they're contacting you, and and they want to um, sell you something, and and it's frustrating because you wonder. At what point is the human being important um, beyond just what can we do for you? you know? And I think all of this relationship work is really important um, in intimate partner relationships, relationships with our children, relationships with colleagues, and also when we're trying to build a network. You know, so building our network is more about developing an understanding of who someone is and under and really um, displaying an idea that we're interested in the person, so who you are, over what you do. And I think that applies in so many different areas. Okay, then I have another question because um, I, I've realized in my life now as I get older, you know, I've become an old man now, um, that I can't make somebody else happy and mm-hmm. they can't make me happy but we can make each other happy in a way, but we both have to be healthy. And, you know, and I think a lot of people, they get lost in that thinking, you know, I'm the savior of somebody else. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, knowing that you can never save somebody else and you can right. like, you know, like our family, we're going through some stuff right now. And, you know, the only thing that I can do there is stand beside my wife. I may not be able to do anything, but, you know, she knows that I'm there for her. So mm-hmm. you know, talk to us a little bit because I'm a big uh, I've been in recovery 30, 32 years now. And mm-hmm. one of the first books somebody threw at me was uh, Mel- Melody Beattie's uh, Codependent. Yes. Codependent no more. And that helped me out a lot. And yeah. you know, so talk to us a little bit about, you know, being in a relationship, but being interdependent also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I love the phrase interdependent because you're right. There can be um, dependency, and then there can also be codependency. So dependency is this innate need for someone to care for you, and um, codependency it um, t- comes into play often when there is some kind of substance use. Um, but we show up and we rescue and we try to make things right. And we don't want to see that person fail. And it's because, you know, we love them. Um, we want to see the best in them. Um, but the problem lies in the fact that as we continue to try to help in that way and save them from destruction, we're preventing them from healing. Right. And so interdependency is this beautiful woven tapestry where we're able to have expectations to hold accountability 
and to maintain our own integrity within the relationship. And so both parties are doing their part, showing up, are equally invested, not only in the relationship, but everything that we are working toward. And we're willing to say hard things to get to our goal. We're also willing to be there for that person as they're wrestling through difficult things like you standing next to your wife and saying, I don't, I don't know what to say or what to do, but I am here with you in this and I'm here to be a listener. Those key factors create this beautiful opportunity for interdependency. And this, this is also a key factor in business and organizational relationships, right? So if we're on a team where everyone is, um, you know, innately individual, or we're trying to help someone out because they're struggling, you know, there's a point where we have to recognize where do boundaries need set? When do we need to set up accountability? And when do we need to move forward for the better of the team, right? And it it applies on on all levels in relationships. I think you're you're 100% right. Okay, you know, so now we're going to talk about business because I'm sure you talk to a lot of businesses. And, you know, a lot of times, like um, I talk to a lot of veterans and when they get out of the military, you know, they want to open up a T-shirt company, a hat company, liquor, coffee. But they don't have that hard conversation sitting across the kitchen table, kitchen table until the proverbial shit hits the fan. And then you have to go back and have an even harder conversation with you, with your significant other. So, you know, talk to us about business and, and how to build healthy relationships in business. Yeah. So I think um, it's twofold. Um, you know, one is, you know, talking to your partner, right? So when you're working with, with, so for example, in a startup, um, which actually my husband and I were, um, were involved with the startup a couple years ago. Um, anyway, startups have a really high failure rate, right? So when you're entering into something that is high risk, it's important to talk about the hard things ahead of time, right? This could fail. What are we going to do? It's the same mentality when you're looking at trauma. How do we plan effectively for the worst case scenario? Also, how do we plan effectively for the best case scenario? Um, But I think, you know, with relationships in general, communication is so important and knowing that you're on each other's team. Now, when when you're working on an organizational level with teammates and projects and um, deadlines and all these things, the same holds true. And really what needs to be developed is this foundation of trust. Now, trust is tricky um, because we don't just get it, right? When we, end, when we start at a, at a firm, we're starting a job, um, we aren't automatically just handed trust. It has to be built over time. So what builds trust over time? Um, and, you know, really it comes down to that same concept that we talked about earlier is small things often. So number one, when we're building trust, we want to make sure on our teams that our teammates know we're, we're on their team, right? We're here working together with them. We see the best in them. So we have a, um, a positive viewpoint. We see all the things that they are and we don't sit and resonate with all the things that a teammate is not. Um, and we're looking for resolution, right? So when conflict comes up, which in all healthy relationships, it does, um, 
we want to enter in and hold a hard conversation to be direct with that person. Often when we have difficulty, we tend to kind of uh, sit with it for a while and we might not approach the person that caused difficulty for us or that showed up in a meeting in a way that felt disruptive. And we might talk to someone else about it. Did you notice the way that that came off? Did you feel like it was difficult or, um, you know, um, not, not received well? And when, you know, the really important thing is to show up and talk directly with that person and really create conflict resolution by saying, hey, when you talk to me in that tone at our board meeting, it really made me feel dismissed. And I'd, I'd really like to ask for something different next time. Or, um, or you know, really developing a, um, the ability to identify emotions underneath what we're experiencing. So I've, I've been working with some really incredible teams and what we're seeing at these team tables is the develop the de development of psychological safety, where you know if someone um, is sitting at a table and everyone's talking about their project, and you know all the parts and pieces that potentially are going wrong, um, that individual could say, "Hey, I, I'm I'm recognizing some defensiveness. I'm going to take five to kind of regroup. I'll I'll be back." Um, and it's beautiful, right? To be able to, and the, the table's like, ah, no problem. Yep, let's reconvene. Um, because there's an opportunity instead of at a board meeting, people shutting down and, and reducing the opportunity for creativity or innovation and effectiveness. We're able to, number one, create space for emotion and to really be able to dive into how does this affect our ability to work well together and our ability to be effective and engaged in the workplace. I love that. So last two questions I ask everybody, how do we get in touch with you? How do we find you? How can we get, if somebody's looking for uh, coaching or just we're looking to sit down and talk with you and get help, how do we find you? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I am on LinkedIn, Melissa Parnell. I work with an incredible um, organizational firm called Insight Partners. E N site like vision partners. Um, you can find us on our website. I have many incredible teammates um, and my email address. You can find me at Melissa at insightpartners.com. I love that. And, and I'm going to send everybody your way, by the way. Um, I appreciate it. Now, uh, last question is, you know, we live in a crazy world right now. We're in, right in the middle of COVID. And we have grandparents that are teaching kids, homeschooling kids, parents working two jobs just to try to put food on the table. So if mm -hmm. I ask the average person to do something in seven days, we're going to get food. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely to do it. So if somebody out there is struggling in relationships. What is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to get help? Mm. You know, I, I would say this is the, the most uncomfortable place and also the best place is um, to enter into conversation with that relationship and ask that person, how do you experience me? Because I want to grow. I love that. Well, guys, I want to thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Guys, if you got anything out of this interview, please leave a comment for, cause she did an amazing job. 
And I'm so grateful. So thank you. Have an amazing week and have a beautiful weekend. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. And God bless you. And thank you for everything you're doing for, for our soldiers and our first responders. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.